greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's already inspired to be here this morning. And uh, just enjoyed the songs. I thank Dan for not backing out of the last song there in the morning. It's a new song for us, but it's a beautiful song. Looking forward to singing that again a little bit better. Uh, fighting a head cold, so would have been glad to pass this message off to Jerry or kind of listen to Joe's topic on uh, our devotions on exhortation. Been blessed to expound more on that. But this morning, for a really a message, but I'm going to tell a story about something that happened in history, but almost exactly 106 years ago, Thursday, December 6th, 1917, this is middle of World War I or beginning of World War I, dawned clear and crisp. Does anyone know what happened on December 6, 1917? Anyway, Don Clear and Crisp, as a residents of Richmond, which is a, a district of Halifax, Nova Scotia, people began their day as normal winter day. And uh, in the adjacent narrows there, the strait connecting the Bedford Basin to Halifax Harbor. It's a busy shipping area. And the Belgian relief ship SS Immel was outbound to head to New York to pick up Carver, Harbor, sorry, pick up cargo from New York. And uh, the French munitions ship SS Mont Blanc was inbound to wait there to join a convoy headed to Europe. And these two ships collided in the Halifax Harbor and set off an explosion unparalleled until the time of the atom bomb. The entire neighborhood was destroyed, obliterated, thousands killed, and thousands more injured homeless. Now what happened <clears throat> here, um, well first of all, the Mont Blanc's holds were stuffed with um, different materials. The whole ship was a floating bomb. Every substance in its cargo hold was engineered to blow up. There was a uh, 2.9 tons of explosives on there, including including 62 tons of gun cotton, which is used for gunpowder. 246 metric tons of benzol, which is a kind of product of gasoline or sort of like gasoline, high octane. 250 metric tons of 
Chen Chao, anyway, TNT, and uh, 2,400 tons of picric acid. It's also highly explosive. So, it's basically 2.9 kilotons of explosives. For comparison, three tons the bomb dropped on Hiroshima was 15 kilotons, so it's not that far off from that. <clears throat> anyway, these two ships, was a couple, I titled this topic, 20 Minutes of Destruction, and just a series of things that went wrong here. First of all, when the Emo, this empty cargo ship was heading out of the strait, it was supposed to be on the right side of the channel, but there was a tugboat in its way, so it drifted off to go around it. It's in the middle of the channel, and then another ship came along also, so it went out even more. And uh, the Mont Blanc was coming in on its side and saw that they were on a collision course. And uh, so I gave a warning on it by its horn. And the emo refused to go back to its side. Not sure why they thought it couldn't, but anyway, they continued on, gave some more warnings, but they weren't heeded. And the last second, Mont Blanc saw what was going to happen, so it turned. And they probably would have missed, but last minute, the Emo reversed its engines and swung, that caused the bow to swing over and scrape along the bow of the Mont Blanc. And these sparks caused the benzol, which is extremely explosive or flammable, started burning. And uh, Then, as soon as it started burning, the people on board were leaving the ship, trying to warn others. But as they were leaving the ship, trying to alert the harbor of the peril of this burning ship, their warnings were going unheeded. You'd think that if people were being warned that the ship was burning, they'd, they'd heed that. The reason their warnings were going unheeded because the sailors on the ship were speaking French. So they weren't understood. Now, as this benzo reached its boiling point, the drums began launching like a series of rockets hundreds of feet into the air trailing smoke and bursting into flames, like fireworks. People on land were drawn to watch this fireworks. And remember, this was quarter to nine in the morning. Everybody was just out starting their day at work, heading to school, so forth. 
Crowds gathered on the streets for a clear view of the harbor. And you know, Boston Harbor all slopes down to the narrows here. People climbed up on rooftops, watched from windows, stopped what they were doing to watch these fireworks. Flames were shooting 30 meters up. Clouds were drifting up into the sky, black plume of smoke, while the smoke rose three kilometers into the sky. And minutes later, this ship, as it was drifting toward the Halifax side, it struck a pier, and again, more fire started there. The Halifax Fire Department quickly responded and positioned its engine to next to the nearest hydrant. And at that time, at 9.05, the Mont Blanc exploded in a blinding flash, a literal blinding flash. People that were watching it were blind, couldn't see for days, some of them. The blast lifted the more than 3 million kilogram Mont Blanc couple hundred meters in the air, flung nearby tugs and ships onto land and deposited several tons of rock from the harbor bottom onto the superstructure of one of the ships nearby. Much of the Mont Blanc became shrapnel. The shank of the anchor, which weighed 1,100 pounds or 500 kilograms, flew about three and a half kilometers. Some other pieces flew about that far as well. And smaller fragments uh, fell as deadly iron rain. The cloud from the explosion rose over 20,000 feet. And the blast destroyed or damaged every home, factory, and building within, 16, within a 16-mile radius. A total of 12,000 buildings were destroyed. The explosion was felt in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. It's about 210 kilometers to the north, and even as far as away as Cape Breton Island, which is over 200 kilometers to the east. Windows in hotels in the town of Truro, which is 90-some kilometers to the northeast, were shattered. Buildings were jarred and items were jostled from shelves. In Halifax Harbor, over 1,600 people were killed instantly. The death toll was approximately 1,963. And over 9,000 people were injured and about 6,000 were homeless. Among these, about 90 children walking to school were killed Turtle Grove was a small Indian village, Micmac village, was totally obliterated. Nobody survived from that village. This supersonic blast wave killed more than 1,600 instantly, like I said. Just, just destroyed internal organs and threw people like rag dolls against stone walls, fences, trees hanging in telephone, telegraph wires just flying glass and wood and metal everywhere. Buildings were blown apart, whole families were killed as their houses collapsed one story on another. 
people crushed, battered in schools, factories, foundries, breweries, railroad yards, dockyards. There was one strange story, one soldier or a sailor was blown from his ship. He flew two kilometers and survived. Up, landed up on a hill. Like all he had on was his, was his boots when he landed. But for some strange reason, he survived. Anyway, this blast, a fire, fireball of two, or sorry, 5,000 degrees Celsius, which incidentally, the surface area of the sun is about 5,500 degrees Celsius. This was 5,000 degrees Celsius. Vaporized water around the Mont Blanc and created a six meter tsunami that roared across the harbor, flinging ships out of the water and sweeping soldiers to their de deaths. It swamped the land climbing about 1,800 meters above the high water mark and uh, drowning blast survivors. People that had survived the initial blast were drowned with this tsunami washing up on 60 feet or so up onto shore, causing more buildings to collapse like grain before a gust of wind, as one witness described it. All but one of the first responders from the fire department were killed. Their equipment was demolished in the blast. So obviously severely hampered the ability to fight the fires. So imagine, you know, everybody rushing to the scene of this disaster, gathering around and then of this fire and then and being destroyed by this blast and then the, the wave of water. <clears throat> One of the heroes of the day was a man named Vincent Coleman, who was a railway dispatcher. When he was initially warned of the, warned of the imminent explosion by the sailors who had been sent ashore to warn the people, Coleman initially left his office to escape but then he returned to the station when he re realized that two trains carrying passengers were right on their way into the Richmond district, this Richmond station. Going back to his desk at the station's telegraph office, he managed to send a brief message warning the trains along the railroad line. His Coleman's Morse code message was, Hold the trains, munition ship on fire and making for Pier 6. Goodbye, boys. <clears throat> and that was basically about the time that explosion disintegrated everything there. <clears throat> I've always been intrigued by the story of this huge explosion and different things that led to this. Some of the points I just want to draw our minds to from this story. You know, this first ship, the Belgian ship SS Immel, didn't stay in its lane. 
And we know in our lives there are others' circumstances, people that would cause us to leave our lane in life. Colossians 2 verse 8 speaks of this. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And, you know, it's often not just one thing that causes us to drift out of our designated place in life, place where we should be. But it, maybe it's one person that causes us to maybe drift somewhat and then maybe some more after that till we get to a point where we can be warned to get back where we were, where we once were, but we refuse. Maybe we become hardened. Proverbs 28 verse 10 also says, Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. <clears throat> and uh, when we do find ourselves having drifted from the narrow way where we were, and others warn us, let's not be afraid we're too proud to to change direction, to change course, to avoid disaster. Number two, don't hide your identity. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but this Mont Blanc carrying all this ammunition, all this fuel, all this explosive material wasn't flying a flag warning others of what it was carrying. Probably if it would have had a, a flag signifying what its cargo was, it would have received more respect. But they were afraid of attracting the attention of the German U-boats, so they had no identification of what they were carrying. Point two, don't hide your identity. Don't be ashamed. Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, <coughs> and also to the Greek. Also Mark 8 verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Obviously, we all recognize that it's too easy for us to be ashamed of the gospel, to be ashamed of our identity. And uh, we've probably all experienced times when if we would have been more ready to show our identity, it would have helped us from making mistakes that had serious consequences. Let's not be afraid to identify with the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> so many things in our lives have the potential for both good 
and also for incredible destruction. It could be wealth. You know, there's nothing wrong with money of itself. There's nothing inherently wrong with technology. We know knowledge can be for good or it can be for evil. There could be many other things added to this list. But what do we do with what we have, with our money, with our wealth, with our technology, with our minds? Do we use them for good or do we allow them to be used for incredible destruction? Jeremiah 4 verse 22 says, For my people is foolish, they have not known me. They are Sodish children and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Also, James chapter 3 speaks of this as well. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. <clears throat> Let's use our knowledge to become wise. All right, number four, warning the danger. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 to 21. Then I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also thou shalt deliver thy soul. So we have a responsibility to warn, and we can do that through many different ways. We can... Primarily do that, or we can do that by um, pointing out 
consequences of decisions. We can do that by telling others of our experience where we have done wrong. And we also have responsibility ourselves to listen to warnings. Our warnings need to be clear and need to be able to be understood. I think at times maybe our warnings are a little too vague. We don't want to hurt people's feelings maybe. But our message to people needs to be understood. We need to speak so that people have an opportunity to find Christ as we looked at in our Sunday school lesson. All right, another lesson is we should not be enthralled and mesmerized by brilliant displays of evil. You know, these people watching this ship burn the fireworks, they were unaware of the danger that was moments away. And too many times I think we also can become enthralled with the things of the world. Maybe we know that there is some danger, but we just want to enjoy it for a while. Maybe we think we can keep a distance and still enjoy some of the things. But let's remember danger is probably closer than we think many times. James 1 verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. RSV version says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I think we need to be aware of our desires, where our de desires will lead us. Remember our temptations will probably draw us closer and closer to destruction. And then next one, important thing for us all to remember is that death can come at any time for each one of us. We, part of the human experience is to think that we have a certain amount of years left. We expect to live to probably around, well, we probably all expect to live around like 97 years old, right? <clears throat> but death can come at any time for each one of us. We have no promise of tomorrow. Isaiah 57 verses 1 and 2. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. <clears throat> so let's, of course, live each moment of our lives as if it could be our last. And uh, always live our lives so that those following us can also understand this truth. You know, the last point I want to look at here, or maybe not quite the last one, but, you know, these first responders were all killed, <clears throat> all but one, I think. 
and uh, <clears throat> it's no real spiritual lesson I have to draw from this, except these were real men. They were doing what us as men are called to do, and that is to protect and help in the face of danger. And that's uh, a message to us as, as men to do our part to, to help others where we can, even when we're not sure what we can do, what we can, at times maybe we feel like we do it in spiritual sense at least. How can we save others from destruction? But physically we obviously need to be men that are ready to defend those in danger. And uh, ready to warn as well. Like this, this uh, radio telegraph man, he sacrificed his life to save others. John 15 verse 13 says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And uh, Romans, Romans 5 or 6 to 8 also. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that Christ laid down his life to save us and we, whether physically but especially spiritually, need to be ready to lay down our lives so that others could be saved as well. In the last part of this story, obviously, it was time to rebuild and strengthen after this disaster. Here were all these people injured, without homes, without heat, all the water lines were destroyed, gas was turned off because of the danger of fire. And uh, so there was a great need to rebuild and communities around rallied for this. Sh uh, trains were sent for people and supplies, ships were sent for even as far away in New York City. <clears throat> and people gathered to help right after this, a snowstorm came along and dumped a couple of feet of snow drifts on everything as well, so that hampered effort as well. So obviously when we see a need around us, we should also rally to help. This is probably one of the strangest messages you've heard in a while, but trust that we can learn some things from this natural disaster and be blessed as we look around us at people that are doing their part in our day to warn and to help and to strengthen.
let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, Father, for you at the close of this service, thank you that you are the God of mercy and that you send warnings to us through any different avenues through your word, through brothers and sisters, through circumstances that come our way and just help us to be heedful of the warnings, help us to realize that our demise could come at any time here on earth and just live our lives in such a way that others following us could also be led to you, led to know you, help us to have lives of warning as well, our words of warning would be clear and easily understood that we don't speak in a foreign language that our children and those in our communities, our neighbors are not able to understand but rather that they can see, hear our message and be drawn to you. And also pray that you would help us to use our resources, use our wisdom to positive influences, positive things in our lives and not these things for our destruction and drawing away of those around us. We just pray now also that as we look at things in history that we would learn from them and also pray for those that are suffering, maybe even in present time from explosions and destructions and natural disasters those that are suffering that we would undertake for them as well. We continue to heal the sick, those that are suffering, and we uh, near to them as well. It's good to be with us throughout the rest of this day, whatever we do and say, that we do to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.